In just 48 hours, TopTel can provide the world-class AI and tech experts you need to optimize your business and stay competitive in 2024 and beyond. To get started, visit TopTel.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. When you're commuting, tune out all the noise and tune into the news you need to know. WSJ Podcasts. Listen where you want, when you want. Coming up. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, oil crumbles under the $40 a barrel level, and Kerrig Green Mountain finds well, finds a white knight. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, from New York, ready to give you the business, here's the Money Beat crew. Yeah, I know. I know, Nicole. I know it's a good, but hey, it's a great promo. We love it. Here we are, Paul Vigna, ready to give you the business. Joined today with Maureen Farrell, Kristen Scholler, and Nicole Friedman, our energy reporter, because we want to talk to you today about something, and I don't know exactly what time you good people will be listening to this podcast at your leisure, but while we are recording it here in New York in the middle of the afternoon, uh, the, the oil market is really giving, giving up the ghost here, right, Nicole? Yeah, oil and natural gas are both really selling off today, so we're just seeing a huge hit across the sector. Right, and the the thing, the, the sort of precipitating factor here is, of course, the OPEC meeting from last week. But what I think is really interesting is that oil has been close, and we're talking about West Texas Intermediate here, which is the U.S. benchmark. It's been close to this $40 a barrel level for a while now, coming down, testing it, bouncing off it. Today it went under it. It went under it sharply. Right now it's down. It was down as much as what five or six percent? About six percent. It's down around thirty-seven. So it's yeah. on track to settle at the lowest since early two thousand nine. Why? Why should people be caring? Be caring? Why should people care? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're doing this live. Why should people care about that forty-dollar mark? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's a psychological level, so it doesn't mean too much. Like if you're a producer and you're making $38 or $42 a barrel, it's not that big of a difference. But definitely $40 is seen in the market as kind of a level below which many, many producers can't make money. And in the U.S., there's quite a lot of projects that you know already have been canceled or shelved and not going forward. But below $40, if we persist here for an extended period of time, we could actually see shut-ins, producers deciding to stop producing existing well, you know, current wells that are already being pumped and even shut those down because they're just making too little money. Yeah. And some of this, like you said, we've already seen some of this, right? Is there any estimation? I mean, and look, the energy sector has gotten destroyed over the last year. I mean, the earnings, S&P Energy Company's earnings are just a disaster. They're a nightmare. We've seen debt, bad debt rising on the energy sector. A lot of them took out money, you know, speculative bets to to expand these operations. They're losing that money now. This, so my point is this has been bad. How much worse does this get? Does anyone have any idea? Yeah, it can definitely get worse. There's pretty um, varied forecasts for 2016. One of the big things that's happened and is happening today that I think is maybe not as noticed is the weather forecast. And El Nino is keeping the winter warmer than normal in the U.S. And that really does matter for oil. Heating oil demand is still a big factor, especially in the U.S. Northeast. And we're not seeing it this year. And we're actually seeing growing heating oil inventories at a time of year when they usually fall. And so a lot of traders who have been kind of holding on and saying, well, consumption always increases in the winter. That's always going to be support for the market. Even that's not there. And so we just have like very little holding 
holding up the oil market at this point. And then natural gas prices are super weather dependent, and they're really falling as well. And that hurts the companies that produce both oil and natural gas and also fuels like propane that are used for heating. So warm weather is really a big hit across the board. And I noticed that the dollar, too, is up, what, still about 9% from the same time a year ago. And we know that that certainly weighs on commodity prices as well as they're priced in dollars. Um, I remember at the beginning of this year, at the start of 2015, analysts were out saying early on that they thought oil was going to bottom either at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. Obviously, um, that wasn't the case, and it and it fell even further. Today, this morning, um, J.P. Morgan was out with a note, an equity note, saying um, it's forecast for stocks in the new year in 2016. And one thing that it did do, ironically, on the same day that oil now, as you said, is on pace to settle at its lowest close since 2009, they upgraded the energy sector. Um, and they said that they think a stronger dollar will continue to weigh on earnings in the new year, but that they expect some of the downside pressure from energy to abate. I don't know if that's um, a similar sentiment that you're seeing show up um, across any analyst reports in, the, in their outlook for 2016, but is there a general consensus or are opinions uh, coalescing around one time period where where analysts largely think the commodity is going to bottom? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about a rebound that we've seen companies spend, cut so much in spending and that at some point we will see less oil produced than we would otherwise see. And so, therefore, we'll have to, you know, see prices higher to encourage more investment. And so a lot of people are saying now the second half of 2016 is where we'll see a rebound. But the big debate is, do we just rebound to $60? And that's enough to bring U.S. producers back into the market. And then the oil that they would produce is enough to balance the market. Or do we need to go back to $80 to start bringing on offshore production, Canadian projects, and so on? Kristen, energy market, stock market. Uh, stock market down big on Monday, was up huge on Friday, Big down big on Thursday. Uh, very volatile stock market right now. Clearly, they're watching what's happening in the oil market. But there have been other days where oil has gone up and down, and the mar- stock market hasn't paid any attention. What, what, what's running the stock market right now? I think one of the big factors today, stocks, as you mentioned, are down. Oil's obviously down large, too. And so... You have seen a correlation between oil prices, WTI prices, and the stock market recently um, and really, you know, um, throughout the year. Obviously, sometimes um, they're more, the two are more closely correlated than others, but there is a concern out there. Earnings expectations are, again, optimistic um, heading into the new year as they were last year. It's expected that earnings are going to grow 8% in 2016. At the beginning of this year, it was expected that earnings would grow 7%, and now we have have an actual decline in earnings projected for the full year, largely because of this hit to energy. And so I think the sustained move in energy is really, you know, causing the hair to stick up on some people's backs and and definitely um, is playing a factor in driving the market lower. Yeah. And, and, you know, Nicole, now it's under 40. People looked at that as, as... No pun intended, a line in the sand. What are the next sort of downward targets that, that people are looking at in energy? I mean, I think Goldman a couple of weeks ago had come out and said $20. Wow. Uh, how low can it go? How bad can it I mean, what are, what are people ta- – when you talk to folks in, in your course of doing your job, what are people looking at? Are there, are there any sort of uh, – 
um, support levels. You know, like, oh, I can't mm-hmm. go under 35, can't go under 30. Yeah, what I are mean, they looking at next? Well, let's remember that in, you know, June 2014, we're above 100, and every single step of the way, people have told me that was the line in the sand. Like, oh, we'll never go below 90, we'll yeah. never go below 80, all the way down to 40. And so, you know, people think we can't break through these levels, and the market, you know, definitely can always test a level. I think the next key one is $40 for Brent, which is the global benchmark, because right. that usually trades a bit above WTI, and it's only at 41 today, so we're really close. Then beyond that, you know, round numbers, 30, 35, but definitely the Goldman 20 number caught everybody by surprise, freaked everybody out. To be sure, it wasn't a forecast. It was kind of a worst-case scenario. So it's not Goldman's base case that prices will go to 20, but they're saying if storage facilities start to hit maximum capacity and we run out of places to put oil, then prices will have to plunge to the actual cash cost of production, and they estimate that as 20. And so if prices fell that low, people would immediately shut down, and then that would allow for a rebound. Wow. Uh, we're going to stop it there, although we could go for, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, we should talk about like who would be winners and losers, yeah. but actually maybe we'll talk for that about two minutes on the other side. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back talk a little bit more about energy and then about the, the big Kerrig deal. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, from New York, here's the Money Beat crew. We are back, and we're talking about oil. And and usually on these podcasts, we like to talk about a segment, take a break, talk about another segment. But but there was one other question I wanted to ask Nicole Friedman, and we don't have to belabor this, but as oil is going down, 40, 35, 30, 20, however far it goes, who, who wins? Somebody stands to win from this, and someone stands to lose big. Are there any obvious winners and losers in this? Yeah, I mean, U.S. drivers are the winners for sure. Normal people who are driving their cars and are filling up their tanks for half of what they filled up for, you know, two years ago. That's a huge benefit to ordinary consumers. We've seen that in the savings rate. We haven't seen it as much as we would want to see in the retail sector and consumer spending, but that could still come. Prices or gas prices at the pump are still falling. And then losers, I mean, energy companies, obviously producers, also oil-producing nations, Venezuela, Russia, Nigeria, all of these countries have seen hits to their currencies, hits to their revenue. And there is some concern about increased instability in the Middle East or Latin America because of low oil prices. Mm-hmm. And Nicole, um, in terms of bankruptcies, I mean, there are some big predictions of this huge wave of bankruptcies. And I mean, that we've seen the prices stay. These companies are really highly levered. What's the tipping point for that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. We haven't mm-hmm. seen as many bankruptcies or as many deals as people predicted. Exactly. And we you know we have seen some. I just saw a tally of about 37 producer bankruptcies this year, but a lot of them have been small companies. And so what's been keeping these com- companies alive, largely the banks have been more lenient than people thought with lending. And also there's a lot of, you know, private equity money and kind of money out there that wants to jump in and help companies stay afloat. And then they've had been able to cut costs hugely. They've been able to pressure the service companies to lower costs, and so they've become a lot more efficient in their spending. But definitely $40, people say, is a breaking point if prices stay at this level. The more highly levered companies won't be able to you know, pay their debts. Uh, Maureen Farrell, excellent, excellent segue question there, right? <laughs> because uh, we want to move from oil, from one commodity, essentially, to another commodity, coffee, uh, Maureen, big deal in the coffee world there. Are we all coffee drinkers here? I'm a big coffee drinker. Yeah. I drink real. tea, actually. You do? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I favor tea as well. <laughs> really? I would not have thought this would have been a 50-50 split like that. Uh, Maureen, tell me about this this Keurig deal. So it came as a big shock today. This company, JAB Holding, it's the um, 
bought they bought they're a European company. Um, it's a fund owned by the Riemann family, the fa- the ancestors of Reckitt Ben Kieser, this big European uh, consumer conglomerate company. Purchased Carrig Green Mountain, fourteen billion dollars. Shocked a lot of people. They're going to take it private. A lot of short sellers. You know, this has always been a company that short right. sellers were pretty keen on. People questioned it. Um, got a huge premium based on its stock price yesterday on Friday, Fridays, right. a week ago, a big one. But the company has been getting hit. I mean, it's it stumbled a lot over yeah. the last year. Well, and I think that was beyond the fact that it was a surprise that the deal even came. Right, we weren't mm-hmm. expecting it. The the premium was gigantic. For a stock that has been getting hammered exactly. relentlessly for a year, did they give any – why did – I mean, did they have to pay that? Was there some bidding war? Like, why did they have to pay so much more over what – Friday you could have gone out in the market and bought the stock? I mean, in theory, they didn't They didn't talk about a bidding war yeah. or anything. It looked like it was just a one-on-one negotiation. But, I mean, if you look, they're still da- – if you bought, if you own the stock on December 31st of last year, it's still like a 30% discount to where you bought it. So, I mean, in theory, shareholders might have revolted had it been – you know, you had – in theory, you had to get it maybe somewhere in the middle from mm-hmm. where this went. And, I mean, they talk – this family company um, fund, JAB Holding, they talk about a lot like a – Buffett-style model. It's not a private equity firm. They don't turn and flip companies. They'll hold it for the duration. So in theory, they're taking it private. They're going to let them run it independently, even though they own a lot of other coffee retailers. They've, it's interesting. They've purchased Pete's Coffee and Tea here in out, out in Seattle. They also pictured uh, purchased some of the newer kind of hip um, coffee companies like Intelligentsia Coffee and Stumptown. Carrig Green Mountain, and if, if, if you're not familiar, folks, you probably aren't listening anymore. But if you aren't familiar, uh, they, they make those little K cup machines, and you know, you buy the machine and you put in the little individual cups, makes you one cup of purportedly perfect coffee. Uh, I, I'm old school; I don't like the idea of a K cup. I want a pot of coffee, maybe because I'm an addict, also. But <laughs> this company has had a lot of problems. I mean, will being private a will going private be a good thing for them? In theory, is there a sense of whether there's a good deal or not? Um, in theory, I think it it does seem like a pretty good deal for them. I mean, they've been under so much scrutiny, and they've missed a lot. They, you know, they've had these big rollouts that they haven't worked. Some of them late, lately, they have a new cold brewer that they've had problems with. So I think this just gives them time and space to work through their issues and right. see where things are going to stand. I mean, the coffee market is changing so dramatically so quickly. There's so much innovation. So I think being private, yeah, they have the time, the resources. They're not in the public glare with each misstep. Right, they right. could just take time to fix it, figure it out. So yeah. probably is good for the shareholders. Get out. This company has been, uh, you know, the stock's been dropping, locked it in at a f- fair enough price. No one seems to be complaining. Obviously, the premium right. is rich. Yeah, of course. Uh, the premium is rich. The coffee is rich. The podcast <laughs> has been rich. Everyone, I want to thank you for listening. Go out and uh, do some Christmas shopping, and we'll talk to you later this week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.